Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is your favorite podcast, hosted <laughs> by myself, <laughs> hosted by Pekko and Hari, that tells you about value investing. I thought I'd change it up there for a second. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't work out. So It didn't work out. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Okay. Well, that was the intro, guys. Uh <laughs> Welcome to our podcast. Thank you, all of you, for joining again. Um, in this episode, we are talking about Transdime Group. Uh, this is, again, one of those episodes where um, uh, one of our listeners actually suggested us to look into it. And uh, um, I was really happy to find that this was actually a pretty decent company. We'll go into it in more detail. But um, as as uh, as you guys have seen, we are... You know, we're picking companies that you guys are suggest- suggesting to look into. Uh, and we want to do that to make sure that we're producing content that you guys want to listen to. So please be sure to reach out to us. If you have a company in mind that you want us to look at, um, send us an email at info at valueinvestor.org. Info at valueinvestor.org. Uh, any companies that you want us to look at or any questions you guys, uh, you guys might have in investing, send us over. Uh, we'll take a look. Um, all right, uh, Hari, do you want to get, uh, do you want us to get started and, uh, start with a disclaimer? Yeah. Um, so this is the value investor TV podcast. We, uh, are here to educate you and entertain you on the concepts behind value investing. We are not financial advisors, nor we don't, do we know your specific financial situation. So before making any investments, um, you know, uh, consult with the financial advisor, um, about any financial decisions you have. Excellent. Um, awesome. So take us through the checklist, Hari. Yeah. So for those of you who are um, unfamiliar with how, how this works, we have a, a checklist that we've created that we use for almost all of our podcasts. And um, we are going to just kind of ask these questions so that we can get a better handle of how the company works. And if you are interested in uh, that, you can always send us an email at info at valueinvestor.org and we will be happy to send you uh, the checklist. Um, so, <clears throat> so Becco, the first thing we always do uh, is kind of figure out what does the company do? So tell us a little bit about Transdime uh, and uh, what, what's the, what business are they in? Yeah, Transdime, Transdime Group, uh, it's traded with a symbol, ticker symbol TDG. Um, it is, uh, it is a manufacturer of, of components that goes into, um, assembling an aircraft, uh, either commercial aircraft, regional transport aircraft, or military aircraft. Uh, they, they produce, uh, these parts that goes, that go into assembling an aircraft. Um, just a little bit more background there. It was formed in 1993. Um, it went through some phases with, uh, leverage buyout, um, but uh, it went public in 2006 under Transdime Group. Uh, that was the name, uh, which is the current name. Um, and uh, just a little bit more fact about um, what they do. I can give you some examples of what they produce. So ignition system, uh, specialized pumps that goes into aircraft, uh, cockpit security components, um, data bus and power controls. Uh, the list goes on, 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 and on, let's, on. Let's so, not let's not forget the lavatory systems that they they the, produce also. Yes, the lavatory systems, <laughs> and then the seatbelt that goes that goes into the aircrafts. 
Uh, military parachutes, they produce that as well. So as you can see, they produce a whole host of parts that go into an assembling a, a full, full functioning aircraft. Um, and the customer of theirs is, is, is largely the OEM or, uh, the, the manufacturers of these aircraft, um, uh, the, the Boeing, the Boeing company as well as Airbus. So those are two biggest consumer or customer of theirs. All right. Um, yeah. So looking, looking at, uh, you, you know, that and we'll, we'll actually kind of walk through this as we go down the checklist. You know, I, I think there's some interesting parts about, you know, the niche areas that they operate in. So kind of give us a little bit more info about that, you know, before we start talking about competitive advantages. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's important to highlight here. Transign Group, as you can imagine, you know, producing parts for aircraft is a very niche industry, right? Not everyone is producing parts for aircraft carriers or not aircraft carriers, sorry, aircrafts. Um and so if you look at their numbers, it's really interesting. About 90% of their sales is gener- generated by proprietary products, meaning that they pretty much have dominance over that category, product category. And if you look deeper, they say about 80% of our, of their net sales from products are, they're the only source providers for those products. So about 80% of all their sales in their product category they're the only player in that space for that subcomponent. So you can imagine the kind of price power they have in controlling that niche product market. It's a pretty powerful thing if you are the only provider in that space. Yeah, and you know, as part of that, you know, their history, as Becco kind of mentioned, they are heavy acquirers of of specialized aircraft businesses, uh, and that. You know, so they're they're looking to acquire businesses that are the only provider of a particular part or product uh, that goes into this. So, you know, think about them as not just one. You know, they're not manufacturing just one item, but they're manufacturing hundreds and thousands of different items, and they're the only provider for about ninety percent of their revenue. Yeah, I mean, if you think about that, step step back and think about it. I know we're going to go into this question of competitive advantage, but. You know, these are highly specialized components that goes into an aircraft. And engineering-wise, it's a difficult feat to achieve. And regulatory-wise, it's a big hurdle to go over because, as you know, right, you know, the air, um, you know, putting anything in aircraft is a highly regulated subject. You know, it's similar to air, air, aircraft. You know, aircraft industry is similar to aviation industry, similar to medical industry in that it's, it's tightly regulated. Uh, and so getting over that hurdle is a big, big competitive advantage that the incumbents have over new entrants. It's tightly regulated unless you're Boeing and making, <laughs> making a aircraft that with the name Max in it. So, <laughs> but. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we'll talk about that, too. Because it's basically a duopoly. We talked about that yesterday, or not yesterday, but last week, in that in these mature industries, it kind of emerges when they become mature, you have these sort of duopolies at play. You know, last week we talked about Visa and MasterCard, where, you know, Visa and MasterCard are basically duopoly uh, system. If you look at airline industry, 
or not airline industry, but uh, manufacturers of air, air, um, air, airplanes, you basically have Boeing and, and uh, Airbus. So if they're affected, all the subsequent upstream supply chain gets affected. Uh, so it's an interesting play here. And um, we'll talk about the kind of the dependence on these large OEM manufacturers uh, later in the episode. Yeah. So now that we've... Uh you know, kind of set it up with what the business does. We've ha- had a uh, kind of alluded to their competitive advantages, but why don't you kind of give us, um, you know, we'll, we'll go through the list and tell us if this is, you know, is their actual advantage. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, do they, do you think that they have a brand moat? Um, not in a, no, I think in a, not in a conventional sense, but I think they certainly do have a brand moat. Um, and I'm not sure how strong it is, but they certainly do. And the reason why I say it's unconventional is because when we think about brand moat, well, at least for me, it reminds me of a lot of consumer products, right? Yeah. Like Nike versus Adidas or I don't know, some knockoff brand. Their brand actually makes a huge, huge difference. Whereas in kind of B2B business, as you're seeing here, brand, you know, it doesn't have that strong of a push than say in a consumer business, but I don't have, I don't want to discount brand altogether because if they've been in, you know, they've been around the, the block since 1993 and, you know, they're selling all, all kinds of products to uh, OEMs, they, they do have a strong brand in their niche industry. You know, they're kind of, kind of trusted as, uh, you know, they're seen as this trusted component manufacturers with high quality, you know, high value components, uh, reliable component producers. So I think brand certainly has a, has a play here. Yeah, but I, I think you know it's probably not their strong, <clears throat> strong moat uh, uh, or strong advantage. So let's keep going through, and then we'll reassess all of these together. Um, sure. What What about uh, network effects? Yeah, I don't I don't see a lot of network effect at play here. Okay. Um, it, they're just selling components to OEMs. Right. Um, switching cost. Oh yeah, I think this is a big one. Yeah, right. If you build your airplane, your air- airplane with these components, it's hard to just rip them out and replace them with another one. You know, it's just it's just hard to do. Yep. Y- there's you know y- you have all these downstream co- downstream consequences of switching parts. So switching cost definitely there's a competitive advantage there. Yeah, I mean, in some cases, the switching cost is infinity, right? Because you're basically, if you switch away from them, there is no alternative. That's true. That you is know. that is hundred percent true. Actually, I didn't really think about that. It is totally infinity. Yeah, <laughs> because there is no alter- alternative. Yeah, you're right. Well, and and I think the other thing is to be you know to to really drive home that point. They avoid the parts that are, you know, could be three D printed, could be you know. You know, when they're they're looking for the parts where they are the only one who would be able to manufacture it. And mm-hmm. so so they're not looking for parts that have lots of competition. They're not looking for, comp- you know, to acquire businesses that have, um, you know, parts that can be outsourced to different, you know, different groups. Right. It's it's really this is the sole source provider of a particular item. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever dealt with government or military contracting, you'll know that um you know, acquiring uh, a particular item, you know, as part of that contract, they will do a, uh, they have to release it to the public to make it available. And if there is a, 
you know, if you are a sole source provider of a particular item, then, you know, you can fast track, you know, some of that item. So this is, mm-hmm. this is kind of a, a big deal. You know, there, there isn't enough money to be made in having two of these, you know, people make it. And uh, since these items are proprietary, it's too expensive to really have somebody else, you know, mm-hmm. uh, acquire the plans, right? It's, it's really just one person can make it. So, yeah. Um, Okay, um, let's keep going uh, through this list. Uh, Low-cost competitive advantage. I don't think that's a strong suit here. I think it might... I think, you know, this. as you alluded to uh, this earlier, they are the sole proprietor provider for a lot of the components that goes into an aircraft. Yep. So they have a huge, huge power over pricing. Right. And so low-cost isn't really a competitive advantage here. Yep. But they could certainly raise prices at will... Um, you know, if you want your plane to fly, you got to pay for the, you know, the part, part <laughs> yeah. so. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, this one, this is an interesting one, intangible assets. So do you think there's any intangible assets that they, they have that uh, are providing a competitive advantage? Yeah, I would say, I would say, I would say definitely intangible assets are at play here because a lot of these products that they make are patented. Uh, and patent is a classic example of an intangible asset. They provide that moat for it's a you know it's a regulatory moat in a, in a sense, right? Yeah. So there is definitely an intangible asset here uh, yeah. in terms of competitive advantage. Yeah. So I mean, just summing it all up, it sounds like what you're saying is switching cost and intangible assets are what uh, really protect them from competitors. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. And and in some cases since they're the only provider of that, they have a monopoly, right? Yeah, essentially. I mean, let's go back to that statistics. 80% I'm going to read this quote directly from 10K. 80% of our net sales from products for which we are the sole source provider. So think about that. Your 80 percent of your revenue is it's pretty much protected unless the entire aircraft airline industry decides to go electric or something like something crazy like that and even even then you still need some many of the same same parts that go into the plane, sure right you, yeah. you would still need to have them uh so you know they and they're not it's not like they're making one item that's you know they're the sole source provider of right it's hundreds mm-hmm. of different uh parts that they have yeah and i actually want to get your opinion on this hari and i think this is kind of you know this is not so much a network effect but I think this is important to capture here. Um, they, they, you know, since they've been operating since 1993, some of the statistics that I found on 10, in 10K, they said about 95,000 commercial transport, regional transport, military aircrafts, their parts are in the in in about 95,000 uh, aircrafts. So think about the magnitude. Think about the scale of their operation, and think about the the deep penetration. That they have in this industry, it's hard to it's hard to pinpoint like what that is in this list. But I think it's important to point out that you know it may be it probably it probably has to do with a little bit of switching cost to your intangible asset. But the fact that they're deeply embedded into this in, entire industry, aircraft industry, is something to point out here. Yeah, and I I don't know enough about the aircraft, air, you know, the air craft manufacturing and you know repair industry to know you know i i imagine there there are thousands of parts inside an aircraft Mm -hmm. and you know to be able to touch that many planes um means that you're 
you know, you as a provider, um, you know, have your claws into a lot of different uh, industries, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, even with the 737 MAX being an issue or, or you know, one air, airline like American Airlines is struggling right now, it really doesn't affect you because you have so many different places to, you know, to go. And, mm-hmm. and, and it goes, you know, worldwide as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> okay. Um, so let's, uh, you know, keeping, keeping with our competitive advantage uh, discussion, you know, we've dis- defined it as uh, switching cost and intangible assets, but how durable do we think this advantage is and what are their risks um, to that advantage? Yeah, so I think to answer this question, I think it's good to think about the counter position, counter argument to this. You know, this is something that we did in the last episode with Visa. Yep. If you and I had a pile of cash, could we meaningfully start a company and meaningfully compete in this space, namely to compete against Transyme? Do they have a, you know, quote unquote, impenetrable moat, impenetrable competitive advantage? And I think the answer is more more of a yes than a no. Um, you know, they, they have a deep knowledge of how to build these products and they have, they're so embedded in the entire aircraft industry. We talked about the switching costs. Switching costs for all these parts combined is massive. Mm-hmm. You know, for, for you to make one piece of sale here and there, you know, it, it's just, it's just, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a battle of attrition. Yeah. And I think they can, you know, if you were able to pick off one of their products, they have thousands of other ones to fall back to, right? Mm-hmm. So no one item is accounting for, you know, a huge portion of their revenue. So, I mean, I, I feel like the competitive advantage here is as long as there are planes, there are Transdyne parts that are going to be in those planes. Yeah. And as long as they're continuing to generate tons and tons of free cash flow, which they are, right, they are able to go and acquire other businesses that are now... Right. I, I mean, for them, what they would say is, let's say Becco and I had $5 billion and we started a, a part, you know, aircraft part um, thing and we made, you know, components. Transdime would just come by and buy us. Yeah. You know, that's what just they've been an, doing. Yeah. They just make an offer and say, that's cute. We'll just take out whatever you have. <laughs> right. Well, and, and yeah. I mean, realistically, that, that makes sense. Right. You would. It makes a lot of sense. They have, yeah. their entire history has been a acquisition after acquisition. But they pick off very specific areas, right? And so they know exactly yeah. what they're doing. And this is where, you know, something when we talk about management, I think will be a very important part of the durability of this competitive advantage, right? Because mm-hmm. if, uh, if they start making bad acquisitions, then I think we have potential for problems, right? Um, but I, I feel like there's a pretty strong advantage when you're in 95,000 different aircraft. You're not servicing just one sector like the military. You also have commercial and, um, you know, you have other areas that you can uh, fall back on, you know, in mm-hmm. thousands of different parts. You know, these are the kind of moats that are built up over 25 years, which is how about how long they've been around. Um, it takes a long time to unwind them, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we'll talk more about kind of the MNA activity that they've you know, their active M&A activity, they bought, they're buying, they're, you know, they're on shopping spree. That's, that's basically to your point, Harry, that, that is their growth strategy to acquire strategic, yep. strategically acquire these component companies. Right. That they can simply integrate into their uh, portfolio products. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
still going down the checklist here. Uh, the company has, uh, what are their long-term prospects and runway for growth? Um, you know, uh, and so, you know, given what we've, we've already discussed, you know, what, what do you see as the, the long-term runway for this, for this industry? I mean, as far as airplanes, you know, the need to repair them and, you know, continually up, upgrade them and so on. Yeah. I mean, the, I think, I think the runway for growth is definitely, definitely quite large, you know, as, and I think this is also, also something interesting in that this is tightly coupled with how airline industry as a whole is doing, right? More people, as more people are getting wealthy, you know, bigger media, middle class, people like to travel with more demand that there is going to be a lot more kind of demand on these components because, you know, Boeing and, and Airbus needs to produce, produce more, um, more planes to meet that demand. And so in terms of long-term runway for growth, I see, uh, I see it very positively here. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's kind of an interesting, uh, thing for them because as long as they generate, continue to generate tons of cash, they have other manufacturers that they can buy, uh, to integrate into the portfolio. And then they just continue continually to grow, you know, continue to grow the moat. Um, going mm-hmm. forward. So, yeah, yeah, I think there's plenty of runway for growth and there's plenty of runway to take that cash and, you know, buy back shares and do other, you know, shareholder friendly things. So, mm-hmm. um, okay, m- moving along here. Uh, does the company require a lot of capital reinvestment to maintain its business and can it grow without further reinvestment? Yeah. So I think this is an interesting one. Um, We'll talk about their finances in the next episode, but um, yeah, they're they're averaging. Let's say for the past three years, they're averaging uh, capex of about fifty million dollars. Um, capex about fifty million dollars, and they're also investing uh, by um, actively acquiring companies to grow their moat and also grow their business. Um, and also, this is important to highlight that this is a hardware company. This is you know they're manufacturing. Uh, parts and so as with as with those kinds of businesses you there's always going to be those uh, constant repairs um, for for your machineries your buildings and things like that and so there's also there's always going to be that capital investment required but in terms of kind of the maintenance of the moat um, I think you can do without it because they have a strong strong moat but at the same time if you want to grow, uh, you still need to put uh, put the money down um, and expand in in in, w- in ways that we talked about by acquiring companies, by cutting cost, um, things like that. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think one of the things that's interesting about this company is, um, you know, Berkshire Hathaway bought a company called Precision Cast Parts mm-hmm. about. Uh, I want to say it was like within the last five years, but it may have been longer than yeah, that. I think it's recent. Um, and they're, they were very similar to Transdime. Um, you know, Precision Cast Parts makes components that, you know, they're proprietary, essentially, uh, custom built for, you know, GE aviation for, you know, you know, various groups. They're not strictly an aviation company, but, um, you know, they're essentially the proprietary manufacturer of a lot of this stuff. And, you know, these are businesses that just generate tons and tons of money because, as a business, you're not going to be pinching pennies, you know, 
you've got an aircraft to fly, you know, it's this, you know, hundred million dollar plane. And, uh, you know, anytime it's not on the, in the air, air, it's losing money. Right. So, you know, you're, you're going to be spending money to make this, you know, keep it, keep it up and going. So, uh, I think it's a, it's an interesting business, but I, I think for those of you who are still kind of struggling with, you know, understanding it, uh, the way, you know, what struck me about this company is it's actually very much like a drug company um, in that they are the sole manufacturer of a particular item, like a drug, and they have pricing power over their um, things because they are the sole source provider of a particular thing um, because of these intangible assets. But the advantage that they have is they have thousands and thousands of parts versus a drug company may have 10 or 15 or 20 drugs that they are manufacturing. Um, these guys are, uh, you know, able to build a proprietary part and then continue to acquire over time. So, you know, a- as you get more, you know, senior in your value investing career, you're going to kind of see cross industry, you know, um, parallels, right? And, Transdime is one of those companies that has a huge moat and a very powerful one uh, because of that, you know, the ability to to be the only provider of a particular item. And this is one of those businesses that's just very under the radar, right? Uh, yeah, which is, I think the last point, the last part, I think, first of all, I think that analogy is quite, quite appropriate. I think it's very much like pharmaceutical companies. Another thing that I want to mention is kind of the last piece, the last piece you mentioned, which is that um, you know, the, the, these companies, they fly under the radar. No one knows about Transdime. I mean, who knows about ca- precision cast parts? Like nobody knows them because they're outside of consumers' eyes. Yeah. But reality is, you know, people think, I think at least I did, if you are closer to consumers, there's a lot more brand awareness and people know what Boeing and, and aircraft or uh, Boeing and Airbus is doing, United is doing, American Airlines but if you go i mean and this and this part this part of the value chain is where a lot of competition is but if you go upstream which is where transdime is which is you know which is where um, precision cast parts are uh, is like that if you go upstream the competition is a little bit less i found which is interesting yeah i mean as an investor what you want is a company that has a monopoly right and if you can find one and you don't have to pay too much, you, you're going to win, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, 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 and an actual monopoly, right? Like not a, you know, you know, something that people need, right? And this is, you know, aircraft parts or something people need. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, if you just listen to the, the name Transdime, you would never guess <laughs> aircraft parts, right? So, mm-hmm. all right. Uh, getting back to our checklist, um, you know, we, we, you know, talking about competitive advantage and durability, you know, are there any risks associated with the relationships that they have with, uh, with their customers? Um, you know, anything that you saw there that could be potentially, um, you know, uh, bad blood between them and their customers? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't characterize it as a bad blood, but I think it's some, something that we need to actually talk about here. Which is that, you know, as we talked about earlier, Boeing and Airbus, those are basically duopolies in aircraft manufacturing space, OEM space. And they account for combined about 21% of their net sales. So Boeing about 10%, Airbus about 11%. Um, so 
Uh, and then another statistic here, top 10 customers account for 43% of their net sales. And so if you think about that, 21% goes to top two. And then about, you know, about 20% uh, goes to the top, I guess, eight from three to three to 10. And then everyone else kind of falls afterwards. Um, all that to say, the dependence on Airbus and Boeing could potentially in the future uh, see some decline in revenue uh, periodically here and there if they are going through some rough patches. For example, Boeing right now um, is probably going through some some rough patches. So you might see a, a blip there, but it, it's probably minimal um, because you know they still have to you know build parts and 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 service them. Um, another thing that I want to point out is that, uh, you know, these aircrafts, they, they last for a long time. They last for about 25 to, to 30 years, which means that it has to be continually serviced. These parts break. You can continually sell these parts to the OEMs and the aftermarket. So in, in fact, aftermarket revenue is bigger than OEM, the, the brand new uh, aircraft uh, manufacturing companies. Um, yeah, which so ma which makes sense because once you sell it the first time, you're the only one who can make it. So when it's a new plane, you have to sell it, and then they have to replace it. You know, in five to ten years, then yep. you know that comes back to them as well. So it's pretty amazing, right? You sell one thing and then you just milk, yeah, <laughs> milk for the entire duration of that aircraft's life, twenty five to thirty years, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so there is a potential risk with the customers being concentrated, but um, not terrible because uh, you know they're they still have thousands of different parts, and mm -hmm. their customer maybe initially may be Boeing, but then it may be one of the airlines or yep. you know a, a commercial transport jet or something uh, company. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay, what about suppliers? Um, anything that you would see there as a risk? I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything. Um you know, any red flag with suppliers, uh, it's pretty standard. You know, they, they, they acquire raw materials to build their parts. Um, you know, they have, uh, manufacturer facilities all around the world, mostly in the U S but all around the world, no issues, uh, that I could see with suppliers. Okay. Uh, how about employees? Um, any unions or anything that, uh, no, um, uh, no, no, no issues there. Um, I guess one risk um, that we need to point out is that they are a global company. Mm -hmm. um, so managing employees all across the world could be a little bit difficult, but um, I don't see any major red flags here either. Okay. And then uh, we've mentioned regulation before. Um, any Anything that you see there as being a particular problem? Uh, no. You know, they've been in the industry for a long time, you know, about 25 years. So they know how to deal with regulators. They, of course, embrace them because that's the only way you can actually, you know, be successful in this, in this business. Uh, two important regulators that I want to point out is, um, Federal Aviation Administration in the U.S. and in the EU, Joint Aviation Authorities. So they have strict guidelines and regulations uh, on how to build different parts, different standards that you have to adhere to. Uh, these are, you know, the government, uh, regulatory authorities, regulatory bodies. But also, um, they're not regulators, but important in this discussion, um, Boeing and Airbus also has their own strict guidelines 
on how to manufacture components. So they have also have to adhere to that. Um, so it kind of goes back to our competitive advantage um, discussion. You know, they they have a long history of adhering to strict guidelines. Um, brought forth by government authorities, but also OEMs, and they've been successful at it. Um, but going back to your question, no red flags here that I can see. Okay, and then the um, well, actually, we'll we'll save the financial discussions for um, and the return on capital discussion on for the next episode. So, um, you know that that brings us to the end of uh, you know the first part for Transdime, um, but you know as we are you know, we were talking here, we have a couple of things that we'd like to, you know, housekeeping items that we'd like to discuss. One is, um, you know, this uh, podcast was uh, listener driven and you can, if you'd like to discuss a company with us uh, or have us review it, um, we would be happy to do so. Uh, you can send us an email info at valueinvestor.org. Um, the other thing that you can do that we'll, we would find uh, interesting is, if you want to fill out the checklist yourself and send it to us, we will also, uh, we can critique how you interpreted the checklist, um, you know, during the podcast. Um, and, you know, not, not in a, you know, not like we're going to be jerks about it, but, you know, to try and educate yourself on, you know, the more you do this, the more comfortable you get. You know, Becco and I do this all the time and we're very comfortable with analyzing companies. We've gone through this checklist you know, hundreds of times for every company that we look at. Um, and the first few times may be a little daunting. So if you want to do it and send it to us, we'd be happy to do it, uh, review it, uh, make a podcast out of it so that you can get something and so can the rest of our listeners. So, um, you know, we're, we're very excited to, you know, keep doing this because we get such nice feedback from you guys. So we're happy uh, when you send us emails uh, and we would love to see what you think about a company. And, you know, we'd be happy to, you know, take a crack at, uh, maybe uh, breaking your investment thesis. So, yeah, that sounds great. Um, one thing I want to add to that, Hari, yeah. housekeeping item. Um, we are. I think we talked about this in the last ep- in the last uh, episode when we talked about Visa. But um, uh, this has been on our minds for a long time. But we wanted to create a community, online community, where you know you guys can freely ask questions, ask each other questions, build a community around value investing, and so we're opening up uh, our Slack channel uh, for our listeners. Um, you guys can come onto our Slack channel and ask questions to us directly, or post questions to the whole group. Um, we, we we could also do a little bit of polling before we. Uh, do a company, we can ask you guys if you guys would like to do, for example, Visa or Transdime. You guys can vote on what we talk, we talk about. So it's much more uh, engaging. So, uh, if you guys would like to be part of this community, please uh, send us your email at info at valueinvestor.org. We'll send you guys an invite for this Slack channel. All right. Uh, it's very exciting. We're, we're super pumped because, uh, Becco, that's how Becco and I communicate all the time. And so you can be part of that if you would, if you'd like, and we'll, instead of having to send us emails, you'll be able to chat, uh, with us and with each other, um, in real time. So, yeah, that's uh, exciting. Awesome. Um, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.